This is the On the Banks podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Aaron Brightman. Welcome to episode 89 of the On the Banks podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Brightman, the managing editor of On the Banks. Thanks so much for listening once again. Here we are the first week of February, just a day out from um, one of the biggest snowstorms in uh, this area in many years. And um, a lot going on with Rutgers Athletics. The Rutgers men's basketball team won their third straight game on Sunday against Northwestern 54, excuse me, 64 to 56. Uh, and they're now at 500 back in the Big Ten, 6-6 six and six in the conference, uh, firmly in seventh place. And they take on Minnesota Thursday at the rack. We'll be talking a little bit uh, more about Rutgers basketball in a bit. Also wanted to acknowledge uh, volleyball. New head coach Caitlin Schweighoffer in her first home match at College Ave Gym. They defeated Indiana for the first time in program history last Friday. Uh, they won uh, three sets to one. Quite an accomplishment with the fact that the program has gone three and 117 over the previous six seasons. So quite a start for her. They did lose the rematch on Saturday, but um, certainly a good sign that the program is moving in the right direction. Also wanted to acknowledge that the women's basketball team, which has been on pause for the last seven games, they had postponed. They're back in action this week. Uh, They'll be playing Nebraska and also uh, Indiana on Thursday uh, on the road and then Nebraska at home on Sunday. Uh, So it's good to see them back in action. They are working to reschedule um, some of those postponed games. It remains to be seen by how many. It is a tight window. There's about a month left in the regular season. So we'll see. But good to see them back healthy and and back on the court. For today's episode, we're welcoming James Cratch of NJ Advanced Media, a longtime uh, recurring guest of of the podcast. And uh, we're going to focus on Rutgers Wrestling, which just came off of a uh, tri-meet this past weekend uh, against Purdue in Minnesota. And they have a quad meet coming up this following weekend. But want to touch on wrestling, go in depth with Cratch on that. And then we'll also touch on football. We have National Signing Day is on Wednesday, February 3rd. Obviously a little bit different in years past now with the early signing day period, but want to cover that as well as spring practice and also uh, discuss the QB situation. And then we'll end on uh, men's basketball to tie it all together. So thank you for listening. And now we'll welcome James Cratch of NJ Advanced Media. Time to talk to the reporters. Here's your host, Aaron Brightman. All right. Welcoming in uh, James Kratz from NJ Advanced Media. James, thanks so much for being here. Anytime, Aaron. Thank you for having me. So I wanted to start off, I wanted to cover a few things, but uh, first and most, I think uh, specifically wrestling. We're about midway through the season. It's uh, It's been an odd schedule uh, during the pandemic yes. uh, with, with uh, Big Ten only, and it's going uh, rather fast. But Rutgers has had four meets now. Um, they've lost all of them. The last three uh, they split uh, 5-5 in all three matches, mm-hmm. um, but lost uh, due to points. Wanted to get your overall assessment of the team, where, where they are right now, and um, how they've met you know, your own expectations coming into this season. I think that they've, they've disappointed a little bit. I think, you know, not terrible, you know, look, I think that the thing that Rutgers has going for is that wrestling is such a fascinating sport because you got, you know, the dual meet season and the dual meet competition, and then you've got the individual postseason, the individual competition. Obviously, look, the program's arrived. Two national champions, top 10 finish in nationals a couple years ago. Like, that's in the barn. The next step for this program, I think, is to recruit and have the level of depth, you know, that you're going to compete in these dual meets. Look, 
having a five-five bout split with with Minnesota the other day, I, I think I think it was actually six-four with Ohio State. But even then, they're they're knocking on the door. They're just still kind of waiting for that like one last kind of kick down the door situation. To, to you know, the big thing is first on the, you know they got to start getting bonus points you know in in the big spots in these five five splits and eventually they've got to make it so they're winning about six four split so i think that they've you know kind of come in below my expectations in the sense i thought they would have at least one win on the board at, at this point but they're pretty much where i thought they were going to be look i think when you have a big 10 only schedule with, with nine dual meets and you're wrestling michigan and you're wrestling penn state although that game was wiped out as a COVID the match was wiped up because of COVID, and i don't think they're going to reschedule that they were always going to be up against it to finish with a winning record and look i know that's something that's kind of tough for Rutgers wrestling fans because they take dual meets very seriously and this is program that hasn't had a losing season ever under Scott Goodale, even dating back to John Saatchi. So I think it, it might end up being like Steve Owens baseball six and nine last year, like his first losing season with an at, with a gigantic asterisk. But they're about where I thought they were going to be. I think the real question for this program in the second half of the dual meet season and then going into the postseason is going to be, you know, the youth movement is kind of here. We saw Jackson Turley. On, I have to imagine he's going to be the 74-pounder going forward. I think you might see Boone McDermott at heavyweight. They've got to make a decision at 125. I'm sure we'll talk about that later. That's kind of a really tricky situation. But, you know, you've got, you know, Sammy Alvarez out there. You've got Rob Canyard. You've got young guys. Like, this is the moment now. I think it's a tough transition year. You know, you got Jansford at 97 kind of getting adjusted to that new weight. Paz has been tremendous so far. So I think it's a last year was sort of a weird transition year and we never got to figure out how it would end because obviously Nationals got wiped out by the pandemic. Uh, this is a little bit more of a transition year in a sense that they've got some young guys, but I think next year and beyond, they could really take off. So it, it is an interesting year too because like you said, they haven't had those non-conference matches, those kind of annual holiday events that take place. But how much do you think the extra matches with the dual meets have helped? You know, Jackson Turley is a guy that, you know, kind of emerged in those exhibition matches. Then he got his chance last weekend, won both matches. Do you think that's kind of sped the development along for some of these younger guys? I do. And I think it's something that would not shock me if we see that stick around, uh, you know, once the world gets back to normal, because, you know, look, it's it's very hard, I think, especially for guys who are redshirting. You know, I, I don't know if you know, fans necessarily understand, but, you know, when you're wrestling on attached, so, you, you know, it doesn't count towards your eligibility in a normal year, you're going to, you know, Sunday, you're getting in a van and driving to, you know, someplace in Pennsylvania to wrestle in an open tournament. I could see those events kind of falling by the wayside. And instead, you go on the road trip and you wrestle other Big Ten caliber guys who are developing on the side. I think that's something that was a smart move by the Big Ten, obviously a necessity because they can't compete out of conference. Don't get me started on that. But I think that you're going to see them moving forward, probably keep that. I think it's going to help them develop. And I think also it allows them to be in a situation like let's use 125 for example obviously nick aguilar is really struggling uh, he's been pinned three times in you know four bouts that can't happen at, at this level dylan chauver you know true freshman a kid of ohio probably would have won an ohio state title last year not for the pandemic kind of wiping out his opportunity he's wrestled on the side he's looked really good i think good and the staff might be more in a position to pull the trigger on giving him a shot in the lineup now than it would have been in the past when he's a guy who's wrestling you know every other weekend at an open tournament and you know you know nick aguilar said himself his his first year here he kind of got lost because you know it's you never guaranteed a consistent trickle you know open tournament dates 
you know, you don't get as much coaching in the room because obviously, like, you know, when a guy is the guy, you got to focus on getting him ready for that weekend's dual meets. So I think that this is going to definitely help the development and it might speed up guys climbing into the lineup and it might speed up guys who are kind of sliding out of the lineup as well. So touching on one spot in the lineup that's had some changes at heavyweight, you know, in, in the beginning of the season, you know, McDermott wasn't even listed on the two deep. He got the start in both matches uh, last week. Where do you see that position heading? And, and Colucci didn't wrestle at all last weekend. Do you know what's up with that? It sounded to me like it was a decision situation where I think, you know, look, Boone is a guy who's got a little bit more offense. So you put him in the Purdue match because you need a pin there. You, you got to get bonus points there. And I think it sounded to me like the way, you know, Scott Cunell said he wanted to wrestle Gable Stevenson, which is not something that, you know, people want to do. I thought he acquitted himself pretty well. You know, look, when Gable gets on the mat in that situation, you know he's going to get five points. The hope is he doesn't get six. And to Boone McDermott's credit, you know, he kept him getting six. I think one of the things I was talking to, a, not a Rutgers coach, but a coach a couple weeks ago, he said, even when a kid is a junior college national champion like Boone McDermott was, you never really necessarily know what you're getting at first because it's just going from junior college to the Big Ten is such a big leap. So I think there was an adjustment period there. You know, guys probably got to get stronger, got to get in better, you know, mat shape. But I think he's kind of climbing there. I still, I don't think it's definitely his spot. I think that Colucci is a guy who Owen to, but he's looked better than he had in the past, I think, in, early on in the season. I still think that's going to go back and forth. I think the big question is going to be, you know, do they go all in on this youth movement? Because if they do, I would think you might see Boone McDermott, you know, in the lineup for the postseason. But if they don't, I could see them also going back to Kaluta So I uh, just wanted to address the elephant in the room. Uh, you know, Goodell addressed at the beginning of the season. What do you think at this point? Is there any chance Soriano walks through that door for the Big Ten tournament? Yes, of course there's a chance. I mean, I don't know how – look, I've always told people, like, I will not be able to give anyone a definitive answer until they wait in on Saturday at the Big Ten Championships. That's, like, literally the moment where you're in or you're out. You know, so basically just to to give people some understanding, the the NCAA, the criteria this year is you need to have four bouts to be eligible for an at-large bid to the national tournament. If for some reason – guy were to come down with covid in the big 10 and miss the big 10 championships his team has a decision they can make they either replace him in the lineup and then obviously his season's over or just throwing a hypothetical weight let's say a team's 184 pounder had covid but he got it early enough in, in the dual meet season that if everything went well he'd clear the cardiac battery and he'd be ready to go for our nationals they would then send nine guys to the conference tournament no 184 pounder and then that 84 pounder who was sick would now be eligible to get an at-large bid to nationals something that they usually never do they're going to allow that the thing is just because you need you don't have to have four bouts just to get in if it, the ncaa said if you win your conference tournament you're in no matter what so in theory a guy like nick Soriano could show up for the conference tournament and if he wins it he's in if he finishes second there's a very good chance he's not in because he's only gonna have three bouts at the end of it so just looking at big picture this season, uh, obviously Sebastian Rivera gives Rutgers a, a legitimate <laughs> national title contender. Uh, you have Sammy Alvarez and then uh, Poznowski. Outlook-wise, for the Big Ten and the NCAs, do you think they're the three best contenders uh, for Big Ten titles in All-America status? Is there anyone else you think that could challenge? You know, I, I think definitely Sebastian Rivera definitely is, is the main guy. I, I'm just looking at the r- run down the list right now. I think Sammy Alvarez is a guy who I don't, I don't, I definitely think he's an All-American contender. I think he'd have to have a lot of things fall into place and he'd have to really wrestle well, be in that Big Ten title hunt or the national title hunt. You know, I, I think a guy, I've always said this, Mike Van Vril, 
Bell, I think, is a guy who could have a run at some point, national tournament, find himself on the podium. Last year, he was such an excellent dual meet wrestler in keeping things close. Wrestling is a really tough guy, is holding him to a decision. This year, I know he's, I think, you know, he's had those two losses early on in the year, you know, tough losses. He's really wrestling well. He's really looked like a different guy. I still think he's he's kind of my sleeper on this team to make something happen, you know, going forward into postseason. You know, I think Paz, as you said, looks great. You know, I think the big question for Paz is going to be as this grind kind of picks up and as the, the, the bricks start getting laid on the load, you know, is he physically ready to handle the grind of the postseason to wrestle two, three times a day? Another guy I think has a chance, you know, if he stays in the lineup, Jackson Turley's got offense for days, you know. I could see him being a lot like John Van Brill. You know, you're at the Big Ten Championships and you turn over and he just threw some guy on his head for a big move and he just pulled this big upset and then he gets thrown on his head in the next round. So I think he's, you know, there could be a lot of big boomer bust thing. I kind of look at Turley and think he might be like John Van Brill in that like it's a it's a roller coaster ride when it comes to dual meets. But when he gets to, you know, when he kind of wrestles free in a, in a tournament setting, he's got a chance to do that. And then Billy Janzer, you know, look, I, I think my guess is no right now. I think he's still kind of getting acclimated to 197. He's still got to get more offense now that he's wrestling bigger guys. But he's also, a, I think, a guy who could get hot at the end. And, you know, and a heavyweight, I, I think no matter who it is, I can't see them being a, a serious. I think they could definitely have a national qualifier at that weight. But I don't know if they're necessarily going to be a guy who's contending for the podium in St. Louis. So last question on wrestling, you know, it's it's such an odd year with the schedule and, um, you know, hopefully Big Ten and the NCAs, you know, take place as, as scheduled. You never fully know with COVID who, who will be able to participate. But how do you think ultimately this team should be judged at the end of this season? How much does this season, you know, should it count in the in the sense of, you know, looking at the future? I think it should count in the sense that, you know, like sort of like with football, they're laying a foundation here. You know, this is something that they're getting young guys experience. You know, look, I don't think we're necessarily going to look back on it. You know, fans are not necessarily going to look back on it fondly from a win-loss perspective. You know, I, I think that also at the same time, too, you know, wrestling is not necessarily like basketball, like a linear kind of climb where it's you know you do this and then you do this and then you do this and then you're here you know it's there's peaks and valleys you know i think that you're gonna have some years where it's you know they do really well i think that i've always said people have always said you know what's the ceiling for Rutgers? what's the ask what's the realistic expectation i know scott goodell said he wants to win a national title and hey that that could definitely happen they got the beautiful facility they're in the big 10 all of that i've always felt that the goal for this team year in and year out should be Competitive in the dual meets, finish in the top half of the conference meet, contend for top 10 at nationals, have two to three All-Americans every year. Some years you might get lucky and you might have four or five. Some years you might only have one. But I think that's the kind of pace this program is getting on. So shifting now to football a little bit. Tomorrow, uh, we're, we're recording this on Tuesday, February 2nd. Uh, Wednesday, February 3rd is National Signing Day. Obviously not what it used to be. Any surprises you expect and, um, you know, how have you assessed uh, what football has done just in terms of uh, rebuilding the roster in the offseason? And do you think there's any areas that they you know, still need to be addressed? I don't expect any surprises. I mean, I, I think at this point, the second, you know, the, the traditional national sign day is basically just all about, you know, the big names nationally. And I, I don't think, you know, Rutgers is in the mix for any of those guys. Serious mix. You know, I think they've done a good job. Obviously, I think this has been a really strange recruiting year. Although I, I'm really intrigued to see what happens in 2022, because I think that's really going to be the strange year 
who knows when these kids are going to be on campus and all that. In terms of the roster, yes, I think there are still some areas that, I mean, I, I've said this a lot on our podcast elsewhere. I think tight end, they've got to find a tight end at some point. The group they had last year, you know, just wasn't producing. I think a guy like Giovanni Haskins could be a quality, you know, number two tight end. I don't think he's necessarily in an ideal world. You're number one tight end. Blocking just wasn't there. Um, you know, maybe a guy like Victor Kanopka, who kind of played toward the end of last season, kind of comes on strong after another year, and, you know, in the strength and conditioning program. I, I still think quarterback is an area. I, I'm when the season ended last year, I was convinced they were going to get a grad transfer quarterback. I'm pretty doubtful if that's going to happen i mean you never know with the transfer portal you know it, it feels like and i definitely think that you know on one hand they're in a better spot in terms of tacking the transfer portal for a quarterback today than they were two years ago you know i i think back to the home when mclean carter came here it was basically like because he was the one guy who returned the phone call i don't think they're in that situation anymore but at the same time too even with the Look, they had tremendous, you know, they made tremendous strides as an offense this past season. But I still feel like, you know, you guys, obviously, we watch it every game. There was still kind of like a smoke and mirrors aspect to that offense where you kind of felt like the numbers are really good, but are they playing the way the numbers speak? You know, I, you know, there were some games where I go back to, you know, seven takeaways against Michigan state. You know, there was a, they had a run where I think they had a bunch of scoring drives and they're getting the ball on like the opponents 30 or closer, you know, several times. So I don't know if, you know, Sean Gleason can go and recruit a top transfer portal quarterback today. And the guy is like, just like, this is where I need to be. You know, there's still some questions about the weapons they have. You know, I, th I think there's also a situation where when a guy gets in the train, I look at the transfer portal like NFL free agency. You got B-plus players who are getting A-plus money in the NFL and are, are going to A-plus locations. And, you know, you know, you get a guy who's been a so-so power five quarterback. Well, yeah, like a, a team like a, Ohio State's going to want him if they need one, just because at worst, he's an experienced backup for them. So I think that's also playing the equation. So I don't think I would be very surprised if they get a, a portal quarterback at this point. I think you're going to go into the summer, Art versus Noah. I would tend to think Vetra will be the quarterback again just because they, they seem to love him, and they're very high on him. I think some people might say rationally high on him, but they are that. So I think that's a position, and I think the lines. You know, I think there's a big question of, you know, they've done a lot of defensive line. I think offensive line, if they could get one more guy that's a proven starter, I think that'd be great. I think it's a really good point about, you know, maybe the offense overperforming, you know, result-wise versus what they were actually doing production-wise. But you're looking at year two, especially we're still in an offseason where it's a little bit unpredictable. I'm not sure what you've heard about spring practice. Wanted to ask you about that. But just in terms of development, I mean, there's still a long road to go, especially with the lines. You know, is there, you know, should fans be a little concerned about maybe a little bit of a step back in year two where maybe things did kind of put the fall in place pretty well in year one where it wouldn't necessarily be, um, you know, a, a a major step back in terms of where the program's headed, but result-wise, you know, might not be as positive. No, I, I definitely think that is something that's on the table because even if they, it, let's say they play the 12-game schedule as, you know, on the books, I could see this team starting 3-0 and and then going 2-7 and in the Big Ten. You know, I, I think, you know, one, you're putting Wisconsin and Northwestern on the schedule, which is, so, you know, which is a little bit different from Purdue and Nebraska. Two, <laughs> You know, I, I like to this day. I mean, they had great, great one at Michigan State. They had seven takeaways. You know, that doesn't happen every week. You know, and yes, they were right there. They should have beaten Michigan. They should have beaten Illinois. But at the same token, Purdue probably is sitting there saying we really should have beaten Rutgers. And I think the Maryland game too. Mm -hmm. So I look at the schedule. I think they could be 
much better as a team in terms of depth, in terms of talent. But there's a lot of coin flip games. If those flips go against you, plus I tend to believe that Michigan is going to be a lot better this season than they were. I think that's also a big factor. I think Penn State will be better than they were, obviously. My guess, my early projection, and it's kind of hard because we don't even know what the schedule looks like necessarily, because the Big Ten might have to move games around to kind of accommodate the changes they made to make this past season happen. You know, I tend to think that, you know, four and eight, five and seven might be the outcome. And that might be disappointing to fans after going, you know, three and six this past season, but that still might be a, a realistic situation where they improve and they look better each week, but they don't necessarily win more games. I agree. And I think we're still in the, the rebuilding phase of where, you know, you have to look at year three, year four versus, you know, putting all your eggs in, in one basket yeah. in years. Um, and the last question on football, have you, do you think spring practice will take place in any form? And what have you heard on that? I do. So I believe, you know, I think when Greg talked to Steve Politi last week in his column, I think Greg, met, uh, my guess is that and I know this is the way spring practice is. I don't think they ever officially announced the schedule last year. I think it got out there, but they never solidified it. I do expect that it will be after spring break. I think that's how Greg likes to do it typically. Do the off-season program, send on all the spring break, come back, start the spring practice. So I believe Rutgers spring break is over the – I want to say it's like the weekend of the big t- of the National Wrestling Tournament and the start of March Madness. Mm-hmm. So get back then. My guess is that you'll see it then. Maybe it's pushed back a little bit more. I mean, I know, for instance, Nebraska, I believe, is having their spring game in like late May. They want to have 80,000 people in the stadium. I don't think Rutgers is, is necessarily saying, well, we got to make it a packed stadium for the spring game. So I, my guess is that you'll see it happen after spring break. And my guess is they'll probably try to mow through it pretty quickly, you know, because I think, you know, I believe Coastal Carolina is already doing spring practice. You know, let's just get it over with, get it done with. So I expect you'll, I do think you'll have a, a normal spring practice, all things considered, and you'll have it sometime after spring break all right so moving on to hoops uh right now you know Rutgers is on the three-game winning streak they're 10 and 6 uh mm-hmm. 6 6 in Big Ten play obviously there's been some ups and downs this season I know you're you're not covering uh you know each game specifically but what are your overall thoughts of where this team is right now and, and where you think they're going to end up yeah I think that they're in a lot better shape than I would have told you a couple you know a couple of days ago I think that this has been a I was really kind of sitting there thinking you know this this is teetering here on the brink of, you know, you don't ever want to, I, I always think that people sometimes take the, the sense of urgency in football and they apply it to men's basketball. And I think that that can be risky because it's sometimes, you know, there's so many games, you know, that are played each year, you know, and I always, you know, I always said, you know, crazy thing I think about, I thought the Rutgers has been ranked number one in the country, but it's like you have a number one team in the country in men's basketball and like they lose the next day. Like that's just how it works, you know? So I think this team's in a lot better shape. I think that, you know, they've stabilized the the season, which is a really good thing. I think the big question down the stretch here is how do they kind of, you know, we talked about this. How do they finish? I know the schedule softens up a little bit. Do they put together another strong run and get back into that, you know, like, four, five, six seed discussion, or they kind of hang around in the eight, nine, you know? So I tend to think that, I'm curious what you think, Aaron, this team might be best off like being a 10 seed and getting kind of a weak two seed. I actually don't think you want to be an eight, nine because you might get Gonzaga in the second round. You don't want that. I think in a perfect world, Rutgers would be like a 10 seed that plays seven seed Drake in the first round and then get some two seed that's not very good. I completely agree. I, I actually think also that the mindset of this team, I think they just play better when they're yeah. pre- 
Bill Baxter against the wall. And I think that they, they had some some issues with, I, I, I think personally, they went home on Christmas break. Everyone told them how great they were. And I think that that played into things a little bit. Um, obviously, injuries, a lack of continuity, I think, was a big factor, too. But I agree with you. I think they're, they're definitely a type of team that they might finish a little worse in the regular season than people had hoped. But I think they have the opportunity, especially, listen, defense travels. If they can play defense the way they're capable of, they can pull some upsets and make a run into March Madness, I think. And I agree. That 8-9 is scary. They're being projected that way. You know, if you get Baylor or Gonzaga in that second round, that's pretty tough to overcome. But I think they absolutely, you know, other than those two teams, which I think pretty much every other college team would say the same thing, you know, those two teams, I think, in their own class, maybe throwing Villanova there. But I think mm-hmm. other than that, Rutgers could 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 beat anyone in the, in, in the tournament. So Yeah, and I also am curious to kind of see, like, I think big factor in this whole thing is going to be how do these teams handle being stuck in Indianapolis for potentially weeks on end. And if you're, it sounds like the Big Ten is going to move the conference tournament to Indianapolis to kind of get the bubble started early. Like, how does this team kind of handle that? Because I think, you know, Indianapolis is kind of a drab place to be in March. I've been there. You know, it's a nice city. It's got, you know, great steakhouse, St. Elmo's, obviously. But it's just, it, I just think that's going to be something, too, because for, for whether, you know, for better or worse, I feel like basketball has had a ton of schedule disruptions, but in some ways, they've kind of been the most normal of all the college sports. They've played their non-conference games. You know, obviously, it's weird to not have fans in the stands, but they played their non-conference games. They start their season on time. They never had this will-they-won't-they question, you know, hanging over them. So I'm kind of intrigued to see how teams handle that kind of weird situation, you know, especially if you're a team that, you know, you wake up in Indianapolis and you got to bust to Indiana, you know, or you're playing in IUP. I mean, that's, I just think that's kind of like, on one hand, like the craziest thing and like the saddest thing about, like Rutgers is going to make the NCAA tournament for the first time in 30 years. And there's a very good chance they're going to be playing a game, and, you know, with no one really in attendance at like IUPUI. Like, how weird is that? So I think that's going to be a, a big thing for them. But, you know, I, I think this is a team that, you know, they, they just got to get to the tournament. And I think that get to the tournament, you know, win one game. But I always say this, too. Like, I, obviously, people may, may or may not know this. Like, I went to the University of South Carolina. They hadn't won a tournament game since, like, the 70s. But they but it was a perfect storm situation. They got lucky that I they got sent to, to Greenville, South Carolina. I don't know how this happened, but that was the regional. They got a Marquette team that was kind of injured, kind of on the downslide. And then they, you know, they, they beat, you know, upsets happen in the second round, you know. They beat Duke, you know, like, you're right. If it's Baylor or Gonzaga, you're in a tough spot. But anyone else, you can beat that team. And then once things kind of start rolling downhill, you never know. That's everything I'm kind of intrigued to see with this bubble tournament. Like, does it kind of take away the momentum you know but if you're a team like Rutgers like like last year I always said it if they had played the tournament last year and they were in the East Regional and they had somehow gotten to New York mm-hmm. they would have gone to the Final Four they would yeah. they would have found their way there so you don't really get that this year which is going to be tough yeah I was just on a call with with Michael before this and you know he was talking about they were he was trying to get the team to go out on a bowling outing and how difficult putting together non-basketball activities have been and how much the mental challenge has been. And I think this team has kind of fought through that. And I, I hope now they're kind of through the, the seen the light of the tunnel and they seem to, the energy and chemistry seems to be a lot better. But I, I, I think with all the sports, it's really hard to understand how much that's weighing on the yeah. athletes, and athletes and, and the toll it's taking. Well, I think it's like I, when I covered high schools, I remember talking to a couple coaches said, you know, a big, you know, hidden secret to like winning a state title like in football is the kids have to be enjoying themselves. 
Like they want to have to want to keep practicing football until December. And I feel like, you know, uh, that's always been a thing I'm sure in college sports, but you, you really have to have a team that wants to keep doing this. Because, you know, you know, obviously it's not going to be as it's not as, you know, it's very different from like the bowl opt outs. But like you have to have a team that says, OK, like, let's do this again. Let's commit to keep doing this. And I feel like this Rutgers team might have the mental toughness to kind of not worry about that. And say, OK, we want to keep going. Uh, and then just last question in terms of uh, basketball, you know, how important do you think it is making the NCAA tournament? Obviously, again, it's a weird year. But in terms of the long term outlook for Peichel. Uh, just from a recruiting standpoint and kind of how fans, you know, perceive it. I think you made a great point before. I, I, I see it all the time where I think people apply the football rules to basketball. There's so many more ups and downs in basketball. And I think that a lot of maybe football first fans are putting their eggs in their in, in the, the hoops basket to get kind of some immediate success. And I worry that even if, uh, you know, the season doesn't end the way we want it to, you know, should that kind of leave a bad taste in their mouth long term of how we view where the program's headed. Look, I think they have to make the tournament this year just for two reasons. I think one, if they don't make the tournament this year, then you get very close to this to twenty twenty becoming this like kind of this like haunting it could very quickly spiral to the point that is the most haunting thing in the history of Rutgers athletics. That this <laughs> team was there and this happens. You know, the other thing too is you know obviously you make tournament this year like what happened last year will always be unfortunate. And even though Steve Peigel says he doesn't like, I'm, I'm there has to be some part of all of them that will never get over the fact what happened last year. But at least if you make the tournament this year, like it was, it wasn't all for naught. I mean, the other thing too is if you don't make the tournament this year, and I think from a, from a fan base standpoint, as you mentioned with the kind of sense of urgency and, and wanting something now, who knows how many of these guys are going to be back next year. I think with, with football, I know fans were worried about guys leaving. I was always pretty confident that you were going to get most of those older guys back just because I, did, I, didn't, I looked at the team and I was like, you know, I just didn't really see a, a guys who were like no doubt NFL players. I understand why a guy like Blumpor and a guy like Brennan White went to the NFL and they, and they might get drafted and be fine, but just didn't think all those guys were necessarily surefire to make that jump. But with this team, between playing overseas and guys, you know, basketball seems to have Unfortunately, we seem to see a lot more guys go into the NBA draft that probably shouldn't than we do with guys going to the NFL draft who probably shouldn't. You never know. Like you just don't know. Like some guys might want to graduate and go elsewhere and get more minutes. So I think that would be tough too. Is that there's a very good chance if they if they somehow bottom out, miss the tournament, that a lot of faces are going to leave, and then you're kind of almost you're not starting from square one again, but you know now you're back on the rebuild. I think it's hard to have a rebuild, not really get to that pinnacle, and all of a sudden we're starting to rebuild again. And obviously Steve Peitel's not going anywhere, but like the patience starts to slip and slip and slip. So I really think that they, if they make the tournament, they at least will have something to show from. And, you know, in some ways, the end of the first chapter of the Peichel era, because whether it's Gio or Jake Young or Ron Harper, like chances are some guys are going to move on and we're going to kind of shift to the second chapter of his, of his time here. Great point. James Cratch, thank you so much for your time. NJ Advanced Media, you can follow him on Twitter, at James Cratch. Thank you so much for all your input, and uh, be, be well, stay safe, and uh, thanks again for your time. You too, Aaron. Thank you. Thanks again to James Cratch for joining us for this episode. Obviously, a lot of great insight on Rutgers wrestling, hoops, and uh, football as well. And just to, to touch on wrestling one more time, this weekend, they have a quad meet in uh, Bloomington, Indiana. Indiana's the host. Uh, they also will take on number seven, Nebraska, and number 24, Michigan State. So it's a huge opportunity 
for them to get their first win of the season, but also obviously a, a lot of big matches there for guys that are looking for seeding purposes for the Big Ten tournament, which uh, takes place not that long from now, uh, March 6th uh, in Penn State. So not too far away at all, only a month out. Now, just to close out, I did want to touch on Rutgers basketball. Obviously, they're uh, in pretty good position right now. Most bracketology projections right now have them in the 7 and 9 seed range. One thing that I think is interesting is, is even after Sunday's win against Northwestern, the third in a row, you know, there, there were some comments out there that, you know, they didn't play that well, that if they had played a, a top-tier team in the conference, they won the one. You know, we even had someone comment about uh, their, their poor offensive rebounding rate, which I have to say I enjoyed because uh, I, I love that uh, we have fans that are that in-depth and detailed. But I did want to say, you know, I think that uh, we're, we, we need to remember to appreciate every win that happens in this conference. The Big Ten is clearly the best conference in college basketball, and I think that uh, winning ugly is actually a good quality to have. You know, they're not going to play their best every game. I think one thing that's overlooked is defensively, they were elite. Um, you know, their defensive efficiency for the season went from 20th to 10th nationally after that game. You know, the week that they had defensively against Michigan State Northwestern, you know, and don't discount Northwestern. I mean, I know they're in a slump. They've lost eight in a row, but they did beat Ohio State earlier this year. I think they averaged close to 80 points at home. So to hold them to 56 was quite an accomplishment. And, um, you know, winning ugly is just part of, of being in the Big Ten. And, and there were many, many years that Rutgers couldn't win at all. So, you know, Coach Peichel actually likes to preach quite a bit. Defense tells you uh, how much you're going to, you know, if you can win. Offense will tell you about how much. So obviously Rutgers could have won that game by 20 plus. The 18 turnovers was a problem. But don't forget that Rutgers had one of the best turnover rates in the country this year. And it really hasn't been much of an issue at all. So it was a little bit uncharacteristic. Uh, it was a sloppy game on a Sunday night in Chicago in a snowstorm, but uh, they got the win. So now it sets up the stage that, you know, the last eight games of the regular season, if they can win uh, four plus and if they're ugly, I, I'd be thrilled. So um, I think, you know, four wins gets them to 10 and 10 in the regular season and really puts them in, in a good spot. I know some people are skeptical of that, but I think this year, you know, overall records really don't matter. It's really about what you do conference-wise and your, um, your your stats within the net. Rutgers right now at a 32 net, 26 Ken Palm. That on paper, that's an NCAA tournament team. So also four quad one wins, which is uh, second most of any college team right now. So uh, they need to take care of business, win the games they should. And uh, I think that there's a couple toss-up games that, you know, listen, Iowa City uh, next week, I know we're looking one game ahead, but I think they're going to be uh, certainly, you know, uh, motivated to win that game. They'll be on six days rest. I look for them to, to pull out an upset or two down the stretch as well. So a lot to be excited about. Thanks so much for listening. Be safe, be well, and talk to you next time. Follow On The Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. And subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On The Banks Podcast.